Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. The overreactions have begun. It is time for everybody across the NFL, Bills fans or not, to start overreacting to week one of the preseason because we were so excited for football that we then consume all weekend long football after football after football and our brain goes what am I supposed to do with this information and so we overreact to it you know Mike Tyson had a famous statement where he said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face The idea, of course, being that external stimuli can cause you to alter your previous plan. You come into a fight, you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but then you get punched in the face and it all goes completely out the window because the temporary stimulus overwhelms the previous plan. And I would like to take an alteration to Mike Tyson's quote. Of course, I'm, I'm not going to mess with it too much because, well, he's Mike Tyson and he would kill me. But I would like to suggest the following alteration. Everybody's got a level head until they see an 82-yard punt in the preseason. Am I right? Everybody has a plan. Everybody's got a level head until they see an 82-yard punt in the preseason. And you know that certain things matter. We talked about that before the game, before the weekend even started. Who's playing with who? All this stuff matters. So how do we sift through all this stuff and take exactly the right amount of reaction away? Because there is such a thing as underreacting too. I know that sometimes it's really popular, especially on this show, to almost wag a finger at overreactions because you're trying to keep a level head. But there is such a thing as underreacting to data. So we're going to try and thread the needle today. We're going to try and talk a little bit about the narratives that have come out of the Buffalo Bills' first preseason game against the Indianapolis Colts. What are some things we can take away from that we feel strongly about? What are some things that aren't quite enough sample size? Let's go through the narratives. The first thing that I want to talk about on a higher level is I was listening to a preacher not too long ago who said the following statement that I am going to adapt to this discussion. And that is this. We solve problems on the same level that we see them. We solve problems on the same level that we see them. If we see a problem at a high level, we will try to solve it at a high level. If we see a problem on a deeper level, we will try to solve it on a deeper level. So when it comes to preseason football, he got open. 
Okay, great. The wide receiver got open. The tight end got open. The running back got open. Great. If we see it as a problem for a corner, well, that guy got open against him. And that's it. Just the what. The corner gave up separation. The other player got open. We're going to try and solve it on that level. Well, just you know, stop letting him get open. Get somebody else in there who won't let him get open. But if we see it on a deeper level, if we see it on why did we get open, how did we get open, then we're going to try and solve it on that level. Trey Lance threw a deep pass for a touchdown to Danny Gray over the weekend. And one of the narratives, well, well, that's a third string safety who he got open against. Malik Willis threw a deep pass down the sideline where inexplicably, while the ball was in the air, one of the defenders who I thought might have had a chance to make a play on the ball drastically changed course as if he didn't even know which way the ball was going. That matters. Why were they open? How did they get open? So if we see data at a surface level, we will interpret it at a surface level. If we see a problem at surface level, we will try to solve it at surface level. But if we see it a little bit deeper, then I think it matters more. So we're going to keep that in mind as we go through these things. You know, the old phrase is that you have two quarterbacks and you actually have none. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. The idea being if you have a quarterback competition, there's very unlikely to be a quarterback who arises from that quarterback competition who is really, really, really good that year. Because if he was really, really, really good that year, there wouldn't be a quarterback competition to be had. What if you have three slot receivers? Does that mean you have none? I don't think so. I'm talking specifically about the Bills. Jamison Crowder, star of camp Isaiah McKenzie, and star of the first preseason game Khalil Shakir. I say no. It's why you have three people competing. Not simply the fact that you have three people competing. It's not because Jamison Crowder suddenly became anything different than what Jamison Crowder has always been. The reports out of camp since Jamison Crowder has gotten healthy have been that Jamison Crowder has been Jamison Crowder. The difference is Isaiah McKenzie has been better than before. And Khalil Shakir has been more impressive than a historic fifth round pick would be. So it's not like you have a three-way go for this wide receiver snaps behind Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis because someone sank to the level of the other two. It's because you had two rise up to at or better than the level of the previously established veteran. Jamison Crowder was never a star. When you signed him this offseason, you thought, okay, that's a good, solid veteran slot receiver. Nobody who was reasonable thought to themselves, well, this is it. Jamison Crowder, he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver. He's going to come here, be the best version of himself. We're going to have 3,000-yard receivers in Buffalo. I don't think anybody ever thought that because we knew what Jamison Crowder was. Cole Beasley did perfectly well here. He didn't do way better than he did in Dallas. 
He did a little bit better than he did in Dallas. He did have technically a career year with the Bills. But stylistically, he was still the same player he'd always been. The same thing with Jamison Crowder when he got here. You knew stylistically what kind of player you were going to get. So as I look at the three-way competition that it seems like we have going here in Bills Mafia for wide receiver targets and catches and snaps behind Gabriel Davis and Stephon Diggs, I don't think the, if you have two quarterbacks, you actually have none, really applies in this situation. Because in that situation, it's that neither one of the quarterbacks is impressive. In this situation, it's all three of the slot receivers are at or better than good, solid veteran status. You guys know that I'm a Khalil Shakir guy. I loved him before the draft. I commented and tweeted about him before the draft. I would have been perfectly happy with him in the third round. The fact that the Bills got him in the fifth, I was dancing on the ceiling. Getting a cornerback in round one and getting Khalil Shakir in round five were the absolute highlights of the draft for me. It wasn't my preferred cornerback in round one, but I was still perfectly reasonable, perfectly happy with Kair Elam. So I don't think that this is a bad thing, like some competitions can be. Sometimes you have a competition because no player is good enough. In this case, you have a competition because two people who you didn't necessarily expect to show out are showing out. Now, I know that there are Isaiah McKenzie stands out there. I had people tell me that he was going to get an $8 million average annual value contract in my tweets. That clearly didn't end up happening. But the point is that they believed in him. They were wrong on the metrics But the spirit of what they were saying looks like it might have been righter than we gave them credit for. Righter than I gave them credit for. Because I wasn't sitting here in the offseason thinking that Isaiah McKenzie was the answer at slot receiver. And I'm still not willing to say he's an answer at slot receiver. I still haven't seen him play a game in 2022. But I am trending toward being wrong on that. And when it happens, I will take my L gracefully. But I wasn't sitting here pounding the table for Isaiah McKenzie as the answer at slot receiver. I just assumed that Jamison Crowder would continue to be a solid veteran. And that has happened. Jamison Crowder didn't suddenly become a bad player. Instead, we have Isaiah McKenzie taking a step forward in the absence of Cole Beasley. And we have a fifth round rookie who's not playing right now like a fifth round rookie. So in some cases, competitions mean nobody's good enough. In this case, the battle for the third most wide receiver targets, snaps, catches, is a good thing. It's a good thing because two players rose up. We didn't have a player slide backwards. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We got more narratives to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about how everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody's got a level head until they see an 82-yard punt in the preseason. We talked about that we solve problems on the same levels that we see them. And it's important that we see them on the correct level. We give an example of that as to a quarterback competition between two people 
versus a wide receiver competition between three people. Now, I have a statement to make about cornerbacks as we're talking about narratives. If the starting corners for week one end up being Dane Jackson and Christian Benford, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to freak out because I watched Kyir Elam play in college. I had a scouting report on Kyir Elam. You drafted Kyir Elam and you knew that he was going to need a little bit of work. Specifically with off coverage. But there was a lot of tools to work with there. But if you need someone to hold down the fort, Christian Benford and Dane Jackson might give you a higher floor than Kyrie Elam right away. And if Christian Benford ends up starting week one across from Dane Jackson, I'm not going to freak out and I'm not going to think Kyrie Elam is a bust. Christian Benford had impressive ball production at Villanova and things like that have a tendency to carry over. He also started as a true freshman at Villanova. He's experienced, he's athletic, and he had a lot of ball production. It does not shock me that he would be ready to go. You might think, well, he played in the CAA, played for Villanova. I understand that. But Kair Elam had one less year of competition, and his best year was 2020, not 2021. Kair Elam was a little bit projecty when he got drafted. His 2021 tape wasn't stellar. His best tape was 2020, and he's a similar athlete to Benford overall with having one less year of experience. So I don't think it's insane. And I'm not saying that this is a Kyle Williams to... John McCargo situation. I'm not saying this is a Stevie Johnson to James Hardy situation, but the player who's best right now isn't necessarily the best player. I want to say that again. The player who is best right now is not necessarily the best player. They're just the best right now. And that's okay. If it ends up being Christian Benford and Dane Jackson week one, they're probably picking those players because they're trying to maintain a higher floor and we'll work Kyrie Elam along and that will be fine. And maybe when Trey White cuts back, it'll be Trey White and Dane Jackson. And eventually Kyrie Elam will take over. But Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier have proven that defensive back play is something they know how to coach. They know how to get it out of them. And I'm not going to freak out. If that's the case, I'm not going to freak out. And I would encourage you all to not freak out if that moment happens because I know that you will see flashes of Stevie Johnson being better than James Hardy in your head. You'll see flashes of Kyle Williams being better than John McCargo in your head. Let's talk about Tim Settle. As I went back and watched some of the game from last week, Tim Settle was extremely impressive. With reps against Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, who are not slouches, they're very, very good. The strength was notable. I think having Daquan Jones and Tim Settle as your first and second one tech is leaps 
and bounds better than Starla Tulele and Harrison Phillips. And I liked Harrison Phillips. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that I have four major free agent archetypes that I target. And free agent archetype number one is victims of opportunity signed to moderate multi-year deals. These are players who flashed when given playing time, but had very good players ahead of them on the depth chart. Types of free agents in the unrestricted free agent market that you want to target. Tim Settle signed a two-year, $9 million contract with the Buffalo Bills. That absolutely qualifies. And especially with linemen, preseason game one tells me more about alignment than any amount of practice because it's just not the same. It's just not the same. And there's something about that first preseason game where you can almost kind of immediately know whether or not they belong. Like I said, you don't want to overreact, but you also don't want to underreact. There are plenty of stories for people who have worked in the NFL where you'll get somebody out on the playing field. You drafted somebody. You'll get them out on the playing field that first day and you'll look at each other and go, oh no, this guy can't play. If you listen to people who worked in the NFL, they'll tell you sometimes that happens. Tim Settle can play. Let's talk Isaiah Hodgins. It was fun to see Isaiah Hodgins make some plays, especially on that last drive of the game. And of course, the catch that everyone's talking about down the right sideline. When Isaiah Hodgins came out, I actually had him rated a little bit a smidge higher than Gabriel Davis at the time. And he struggled with injuries. And I called him a big slot at the time. I specifically used David Nelson to describe him. One of the things that I don't necessarily do a great job at, because I'm a believe it when I see it kind of person, everything seems to get frozen until I see otherwise. Because we've talked about this on the show before. I do not assume improvement from people. Because it doesn't always happen. I just deal with the data that I have seen right now. I do not project out this weird path. I don't project improvement out to people. I'll never forget when people were doing this with me with Levi Wallace. Well, you don't think he's going to get better? No, I don't. And guess what? He didn't. He was the same guy every single year he was with the Bills. He didn't get better. He was the same guy. He was fine. But people don't always improve. Sometimes they plateau. Sometimes they get worse. One of the things that's important to note with Isaiah Hodgins is that players can improve invisibly. Now, he improved invisibly because we haven't seen him play meaningful games in a long time. He's been hurt for like two years, off and on. He played Z in camp, not slot, and he showed really good release technique on the diving catch. They can improve when you're not watching. Now, it's fair to not assume the improvement. It is. Until you actually see it. Because invisibility does not guarantee improvement. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's happening. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. So you can choose to assume it's happening. Or you can choose to assume it's not until you see otherwise. I am a assume it's not until you see otherwise guy. But it absolutely does happen. And Hodges is an example. If you continue to have that kind of release package, you're not a David Nelson. 
You're not designated as a big slot where you need help getting off press and you can't play X or Z specifically because you can't have somebody up in your face. You can't deal with press. One of the biggest questions coming into the NFL for wide receivers is can they handle press? Because the graveyard of NFL receivers is littered with good college players who could not get off press in the NFL. Everywhere you look, good, promising receivers end up not having their careers go where they want them to go because they can't get off press. And those people are usually relegated to the slot. And what if you're a team that runs a lot of two wide receiver sets? Then, well, you just don't get a lot of opportunity. But Isaiah Hodgins is a great example and can serve as a lesson to all of us, including myself, on the idea that people can improve even when they're not in the public eye. So I'm happy for him. I still don't know if he makes the team, but I do know that it's a good thing that a homegrown drafted player is starting to show improvement. Maybe there's a chance that one of these receivers gets flipped and that's the solution to our problem. Maybe Jamison Crowder, Isaiah Hodgins gets flipped before the end of camp. Plenty of teams could use a receiver or two for a conditional seventh somewhere. But Isaiah Hodgins doing what he did in that game, it's good to see, not just because he's been hurt, but it's a good lesson that sometimes people can improve invisibly. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We talked about some of the big narratives to come out of the game. We talked about making sure we see the issues on the same level we would like to solve them. We talked about having a plan, not overreacting, to seeing an 82-yard punt, right? We barely even talked about that at all. Just, it was a really good punt. If Areza can hold up, literally, pun intended, then he'll be the punter for this team. So for me, we talked about those two overarching concepts. Don't overreact, but don't underreact. Take away the right things from the stuff. Make sure we're going, why is he open? We talked about Benford. We talked about all the things we want to talk about. And if there were things that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about, well, sorry. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.